0: You are listening to the Glow CRE podcast with your hosts, Pamela Van Os
1: and Farah Jackson.
0: Glow CRE stands for Gaining Leaders, Originators, and Women in Commercial Real Estate. And we're bringing you an honest and inspiring look into working as a woman in this industry. Glow CRE is sponsored by Greystone, which is a leading commercial real estate finance company serving the multifamily sector with a range of debt and structured finance solutions.
1: Happy New Year, Glow CRE listeners. We are so excited to be back, and we want to thank you for joining us as we kick off Season 2 of the podcast. So let's get right into it. We wanted to bring in one of the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry's most respected experts to talk about an important topic that impacts many women throughout their careers. We are lucky, too, because she happens to work with us at Greystone. So we and I personally have benefited from her wisdom over the last few years. Meet Pranika Sinha. Pranika is the Head of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, commonly referred to as DEI and Organizational Development at Greystone. She introduces new DEI initiatives including education, resources and programming across the entire firm to ensure that Greystone's diversity efforts evolve and move forward benefiting everyone within the organization. Pranika was previously at Occidental Petroleum Corp in Houston, Texas, where she spent nine years in various senior talent, training, and development roles, most recently as senior manager, talent development, and inclusion. While there, Pranika led award-winning global leadership development programs, workshops, culture, and strategic diversity efforts. She's also worked in talent development, training, and diversity-focused roles at Memorial Hermann Healthcare System in Houston and 21st Century Consulting, Inc. in Chicago, Illinois. Pranika is a guest lecturer at her MBA alma mater, Rice University, and has been recognized for her work in the DEI
0: sector. Pranika, thank you so much for joining us on GLOW CRE.
2: Hi, Farah. Hi, Pamela. Happy to be here today.
0: Thank you. So before we jump into our hot topic, we want to share with our listeners a little bit about the impact of DEI work at organizations in our industry and beyond. So, Pranika, to kick it off, can you give us an overview of what DEI is and how it applies to business and work day to day?
2: Yeah, sure. So I think sometimes we forget what DEI stands for and uh, obviously it's diversity equity and inclusion but when you really break down the word diversity I think it refers to all aspects of human difference there are aspects that we can see and aspects we don't see it's also wrapped up in social identities and social group differences so really when you think about it it also greatly impacts how we communicate based on those differences that we see, can't see those that are invisible, and those we experience. When you think about equity, which is sometimes a little bit invisible in the acronym, it means that we have to acknowledge and address structural inequalities. There are some that advantage others and some that disadvantage others, and we really only reach equity if everyone starts with equal access to opportunities. So the key is there is providing opportunity. Now, and because everyone has a unique background, they start at different points. Inclusion is where if you have a community, everyone feels respected, feels a sense of belonging, and they can participate and achieve to their potential. So if you look at that from a business perspective, you're inside of a company, Does the employee feel a sense of belonging there? Can they participate fully in the business? Can they achieve their potential or is there something blocking it? So a lot of times people look at the DEI as solely being about diversity, but diversity itself is not sufficient. It's not just about bringing people in from various backgrounds into the organization. It's very much about what happens once people are there. That means you have to belong to something, be a part of something, feel like you're valued. And I think if, if you put it simply, diversity is a fact, okay? That's how we look at it from a business standpoint. Equity is a goal, and you really need practices and policies around that. Inclusion is a behavior, but I want to add one more thing to the mix, and we do talk about this at Greystone, but belonging. Belonging. Belonging is an emotional outcome that people really want within their organization. What ties you emotionally in a positive way to that organization? So diversity is acknowledging our differences. Inclusion is an action, a constant conscious choice to include others. But belonging is actually the result of fostering an inclusive culture that nurtures this belonging. and. That allows the potential to be there.
1: You know, that ties into something that we talk about often, and that's company culture and the importance of company culture. Because if you're not included, if you don't feel that sense of belonging, it's not a career that might feel like it's the right career path for you when it really is the organization and not the job. Um, One of the things, you know, Pamela and I talk about often on the podcast is getting more women in the sales and getting more women into originations. Well, if they don't feel like they belong because... You, you don't feel included. You don't feel like you're represented. It's a hard path to walk down, you know, to walk alone. So I think tying it in that way, to me, helps me understand the importance of it to my goals and the path that I'm walking. Um, how do you think it ties for more women in the industry?
2: Yeah. So I think if you break it down for women, um, nine years running, McKinsey has done a women in the workplace report. And there's some really neat, And important findings in the 2023 report. So, the way that they broke it down here are myths and realities. So, one, are women becoming less ambitious? No, that's the myth. So the reality is women are more ambitious than ever and flexibility is a part of what's fueling that ambition. So the opportunity to have hybrid workplaces or work remotely in some cases fully um, really has given women more opportunities in the workplace. I think the second one is people still talk about the presence of a glass ceiling, that the biggest barrier is a glass ceiling that women, you know, top out at a certain point in their career. But actually, the broken rung is the greatest obstacle that women face on the path to senior leadership. And what is meant by that broken rung is to go from employee to leader. Takes so much longer at times for women. That's what the broken rung is. Can I actually get to that leadership position?
0: There's a and, an interesting stat, Veronica. I, yeah. and I'm glad you brought up this research. There's an interesting stat that ties back to exactly what you're saying. And what they found in 23 is for every hundred men promoted from entry level to manager, 87 women were promoted, and 73 women of color were promoted. So even lower. And one of the concerning things is that the women of color is actually down from the year before of eighty two. So this just to highlight the statistics of this broken rung. To your point, it's
2: it's very much continues to be a problem, and we have much further to go in parity. So something that I find that really relates to this, we do talk about it at Greystone, um, is the you know, the term microaggressions, there's a myth that microaggressions have a small impact. The fact that, you know, there are statements or actions that are said towards women and they have a small impact. And the reality of it is, is that microaggressions have a very large and lasting impact on women. So that's disrespect, it can cause stress, it can cause health related issues, it can cause performance issues especially if you experience those day in and day out. So whether you are passed up, whether you, you know, the way that you are spoken to, that can create real problems for women. And those work environments need to be free from microaggressions for women to flourish. Then I think the, the final one here is that many times reality is society looks upon women as you know, they want flexible work and they will benefit from it. But truthfully, men and women see flexibility as a top employee benefit and that it's critical to them personally, but also to their company's success. So um, I encourage you, if you haven't read the Women in the Workplace report before, to to go out and look at it. We definitely talk about it in our Women's Network here at Greystone But then further to that, I think some of the other challenges that women can face, I mentioned non-inclusive language, but when you talk about that broken rung, doubt, inability, lack of sponsorship, lack of opportunity, those three things really hit women hard. And that's why that broken rung continues to be an issue.
1: And I'm guessing these These things are exacerbated when you have a lack of DEI in the workplace and a lack of a safe space to talk about these things.
2: I think sometimes we think those conversations are uncomfortable, but how can we get to the highest levels of productivity and potential in a workplace where not only do people want to perform at their best, but they can if that is occurring? I know we're going to talk about imposter syndrome later, but if others are not believing in you, it's hard to solely rely on yourself, you know, your own self-belief to be able to really flourish in the workplace.
0: That's why this is so important. I mean, corporations, the benefit that the corporations yield by having this type of culture, it, I, you know, it, it makes you wonder why haven't we progressed it you know overall faster than we are because there's so much benefit to it um it, like you said the flexible work the benefit there i mean that's you know having our discussions around DEI you know in are important in the commercial real estate industry and in sci- society in general So what do you think having these discussions, you know, we're talking about the importance of them right now, but particularly given the pushback against ESG and DEI that we're seeing today?
2: So I think that talking about DEI is more important than ever, especially considering, you know, the current economic conditions. I think sometimes people look at it and say, DEI is a nice to have, or, you know, is there another event that we need to celebrate? But when you have Awareness and empathy. That really leads to perspective and understanding. And a combination of that impacts your bottom line. It impacts your engagement, employee happiness. I mentioned productivity. And when you look at all of those things together, it's retention. Do you want to keep your employees or do you want them to leave because? they aren't engaged. They're not feeling happy in that workplace. And not to mention teaming and collaboration. You know, if I'm happy, I'm going to get along better with others. If I'm feeling heard and valued in my team and in my workplace in general, I'm going to stay. I'm going to give more discretionary effort. So really, when you look at DEI, it hugely impacts the bottom line. (laughs) That means it's more important than ever because to go out and recruit others to come in if you're having turnover is so costly. And so what we should be doing really is re-recruiting people, telling them of their value. But if they feel valued and heard, if they feel respected and are treated with dignity, they're gonna stay. And to talk about DEI, The way we do to have those discussions to be able to learn about others really promotes that belonging.
1: You know, one of the things I tell my mentees is when they're interviewing with a new firm, find out how long people have been there. You know, you're normally interviewing with a couple of people. Find out how long people have been there because people don't stay at a company where they don't feel all of the things you just discussed. Um, And, you know, while every firm can improve upon it, firms that have a strong foundation there, you get that longevity. And so, you know, listeners, it's another one of those great nuggets to take and and use at any facet in your career. But okay, now we're going to get into the topic of the day, imposter syndrome. You may have heard of it, you may have experienced yourself as I have actually personally. Or you've wondered, is this something that you might not even know about? You know, Uh, we're going to dive into this topic today and we're going to help women listening overcome it. And our men, all of our listeners. Uh, A recent KPMG study revealed that 75% of executive women experience imposter syndrome. Meanwhile, 74% of executive women believe that their male counterparts do not experience feelings of self-doubt as much as female leaders do. And as I mentioned, it's something that as soon as I heard about it and, and understood what it was, I was like, that's me. I, I've been there. Um, and having people like Pronica to talk to and get a better understanding and, and learn coping mechanisms and ways to to push through have been helpful for me. So I'm hoping our listeners get a lot of that great advice today. So Pranica, what is imposter syndrome?
2: So imposter syndrome is when you have the a collection of feelings of inadequacy. So despite success, you have overriding feelings of self-doubt or you feel fraudulent like you don't belong there. Um, and it really can be linked with perfectionism, but this condition of feeling inadequate or anxious or I'm not experiencing success despite being high performing, you know, to feel like a fraud or a phony doesn't feel good at all. And it's this, it can be a constant doubt, inability.
0: Veronica, we know women feel this because as yeah. Farah mentioned, she felt, I feel it. There's many women I know feel it. What about men? Do, do, are they experiencing this? And, and yeah. at what level of it are they experiencing?
2: Well, I think both men and women can experience this phenomenon, um, you know, of all ages. Um, but what I will say is that it is especially prevalent in women and minorities, um, especially more ma- marginalized groups, due to discrimination, microaggressions, um, racism, or this, this feeling of, of not being valued.
1: As I began to understand it more, I really wondered, especially for women, if it tied back to the feeling like we need to be 100% prepared for a job. You know, women don't want to apply for a job unless we hit all the boxes, meet all the qualifications. And so if we step into something and we don't feel 100% prepared, you know, is that part of why we feel like maybe I don't belong here or I'm a fraud versus I know studies have shown that men, I think the number was 30 or 40 percent feel, you know, that's the qualifications they need for a job. And if you have that kind of confidence, which I'm I'm working towards, you know, maybe that helps you to not feel like you don't belong there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know. It's this idea of perfectionist. So if you're applying for a job that you have to have every single one of the qualifications rather than maybe most of them or even, you know, three quarters of them. Um, you know, some. I think we try and tick all the boxes and say, OK, oh, if I don't tick that, I can't apply. Um, whereas men apply even if they don't. Have all of the qualifications. So, this idea of perfectionism, and there really is no perfect in anything, okay, because you can always redefine what the goalpost is. um, And by continuously striving for perfectionism, what we're doing then is saying if something is wrong, if there's a mistake, it's wrong. And so those feelings of inadequacy, we really spend more time focusing on the insecurity or maybe we made a small mistake rather than the end goal.
0: Now, how early does this start? I mean, are we talking about someone in entry level moving up to manager and this imposter syndrome follows them all through their career? Or is it more where you're you know, you're trying to go into more senior senior position?
2: Well, I think it starts before people even get into the workplace. Quite honestly, I I think it starts as kids. You know how how are we talked to? Um, you know, are we always striving for perfection? Um, how are we spoken to? How are we speaking to ourselves? So I think it actually starts before we even get into the workplace, um, and I think people bring that imposter syndrome with them when. They begin to go to work. So whether it's in, you know, middle school, high school, college, I think it it actually comes to pass quite earlier than we
1: think. We've talked about a few examples of of how imposter syndrome may appear. I think uh, I heard you've got some study information about how women might rate themselves versus men. Can you tell us about that?
2: So having worked in several different industries not just in commercial real estate, so oil and gas and healthcare as well, you know, I I and doing training and development, I've seen a lot of people do assessments, I've talked to them through their assessments and then also read studies of um you know how people use assessments and what we find is that women tend to rate themselves lower Than how their raters rate them. So, whether that's a peer, a client, a manager, or a direct report, um, on the whole, they tend to rate themselves lower than their other raters do. Why do you think that is? Well, I think therein, again, you know, it's the self doubt of, am I really as good? Or, you know, when I look at the numbers, am I allowed to rate myself high? Um, am I recognizing myself or am I finding every little thing that I do wrong and therefore looking at that within the numbers?
0: So, Pronica, most important question so far. Yeah. What are the tips for overcoming imposter syndrome? How can we help women get past this and get, you know, feel more confident and rate themselves higher? You know, you never speak to anyone
2: more than you speak to yourself in your head. And so I think one of the things is, you know, remember that you've gotten through all the challenges 100% through to today. You look back at every challenge and you've gotten through it. You've overcome it. And so when you consider the context of your doubt, think about the successes that you've had. How do you visualize success or do you or are you looking at what could happen? What ifs? So you have to remember what you do well. What have you done well and shift your thinking to that? So essentially, you're separating the facts from the feelings, right? If I tell you, go back and look at what you've done to have success, those are the facts, not the what ifs that are crawling in. So you have to really monitor your internal dialogue. You know, if you have a mentor or someone that you trust, share those feelings And sometimes externally talking about it with someone that you really trust can be helpful. Celebrate wins. No matter how small, how big, I think if you celebrate those wins, you tend to remember them. Even when something is challenging, you know, giving yourself positive self-talk whether that's looking in the, morning, in, in the mirror in the morning and giving yourself self-affirmations. But you have to cultivate self-compassion. And everyone is going to have failures and mistakes. And you have to accept that. And those are a part of life. And again, it's getting away from that pers- perfectionism. You know, it's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you are not. And so when we when we look at the mistakes and failures, that's how we really get to be who we are, not because of those, but in spite of
0: those, you're still moving forward. Right. Your success is your success is your failures. I mean, that's that's what you know. So we have to keep that in mind. Um, Are there any resources that we can share with our listeners that, you know, they can read or you know, be able to start to extract and put this into their day to day? Um. So, you know,
2: it's it's actually a psychological phenomenon. And so even, you know, we Google things every day, but even Googling what you feel like those symptoms are. So psychology today really defines it. It talks about how common it is, you know, 30% of high achievers, but 70% of adults experience this at least once in their lifetime. So I find it, you know, that they share the facts of what they are. What I think is amazing is, you know, even if you go to LinkedIn and you were to look at whether it's female quotient, there's someone I follow, her name is Mita Malik. I think. She really helps me in my day-to-day combat imposter syndrome because she goes and talks about what she has done to combat it. So if there is someone that you follow that you really value their advice, take that to heart. Write about how it is for you. And I find that that reflection, that if you actually write down what you then can separate the facts from what your mind is making up for you.
0: Great advice. That's good. Based on the topics we've talked about so far, uh, what programs has Greystone Im- implemented to address, to address these topics? So we
2: have done uh, an imposter um, syndrome class with uh, our Greystone Women's Network. It was kind of the what, why, and how to deal with it. Um, so we, we have done that uh, in the past. Um, we've also talked about allyship. I think it's so important because we talked about this in, broken rung for women to have mentors and sponsors and allies in the workplace. So we've done a whole session on allyship and we also started a mentor program last year at Greystone. So those are some of the ways I think that we are really um, helping to support women in the workplace and also Um, just having a women's network. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Having a women's network where, where women can get together um, and having having a voice. And we hear that consistently on the mentor and the champions, how critical that is in an organization for women. So all good things. And now it's
1: time for my favorite part of every episode, our mantra minute. So Pranika, do you have a favorite quote or mantra for work, life, or anything else that guides you, drives you or stuck with you over the years?
2: So something that has really been top of mind for me in the last few years is I mentioned it briefly earlier we really speak to ourselves the most do we want to be the unkind nagging voice or do we want to be our own best friend so for me I think the utmost important thing is we
1: must be kind to ourselves that is so true Chronica, thank you for your perspective on imposter syndrome and for your helpful tips on being confident in our capabilities. We hope that our listeners will take away many of the tools that you shared today and that it encourages them to apply for that job, even if they don't have all the qualifications or raise their hand if they're not sure. Chances are, ladies, you're more capable than you think. Until next time,
0: keep glowing, ladies.